In this series, The Artisan Soul, we're going to be exploring the idea that every single one of us has been created by a creative and a creating God. And that because of that, we are created to be both creative and creating too. Every single one of us, perhaps even our very ideas about what is creative and who is an artisan will be challenged by this series. At least I hope it will be. Part of the inspiration for this series comes from a book by the same title, written by author and founder of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, Erwin McManus. It wasn't until today at 8.30 when the video for the Global Leadership Summit played that I realized that he was going to be one of the speakers this year. Sometimes it takes me a while to get on board, but I usually do catch up and get there. Well, anyway, in his book, he starts with the premise that is something that most of us know and acknowledge, that from the very beginning, the scriptures describe God as an artist. At his core... God is an artisan. On the seventh day, God rested, not from his work of engineering or his work of teaching or his work of administrating, but from his work of creating. McManus goes on to say that it is important to note that even in creation, the culminating moment of the creative act emerged when creativity reached its point of deepest intimacy. To bring light out of darkness, God needed only to speak. But to bring his image alive in humanity, he needed to breathe his life directly into our lungs. The description could not be more intimate or personal. He says our story begins with a kiss, with mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, God pressing against us. We begin when God breathes out and we breathe in. And while all creation declares the glory of God, we humans bear the image of God. And the more clearly we reflect the divine, the more we reflect that which is good and beautiful and true. You are an artist. You are an artist. You were created with an artisan's soul. And the question is, what kind of art will you leave behind? What kind of beauty are you creating in the world? Created in the image of God, we have the ability to resemble, to reflect, and to represent God to others. He created us with imagination and with curiosity and the capacity to hope and to dream. And he placed within us the power to live an extraordinarily creative life. Because we are created in God's image, we all carry within us the essence of an artist. We need to create, to be a part of a process that brings something good and beautiful and true into the world. God himself is the master artisan and is patiently, meticulously crafting us into something truly beautiful in order to bring his beauty into the world. Like a painting that represents an object or an image, we are to reflect 
God to the world to bring life, hope, joy, and beauty. Because we are God's handiwork, our souls function best when we place our faith, hope, and trust in Him. Seeking value from anything other than God only brings death and destruction. And ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, people have been seeking value from lots of other things besides God's. There is pain and ugliness in the world because the beauty of the image of God has been broken and obscured in us. I want to talk for a minute a little bit more about this idea of being made in the image of God because this is a very foundational doctrine of Christianity that says that every human being is made in the image of God. In Latin, we call this the Imago Dei. Being made in the image of God is not only important to know in our heads as one of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, but it is so much more important to know in our hearts because it will affect how we live our lives as Christians, how we treat other people as Christians, and how we go about spreading the beauty and the artistry of God in the world as Christians. Perhaps one of the most beautiful, creative expressions of the Imago Dei is found in Michelangelo's fresco, The Creation of Adam, found on the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican in Rome. It artistically captures the moment just preceding the hand of God, placing the divine spark within Adam with a touch. Here you see but a tiny portion of this masterpiece. Here we see God's hands, God's finger reaching out to touch Adam's. This idea of humans being made in the image of God has many applications for our life. And one of them is that our self-worth is bound up inextricably with, with the inestimable worth of God that we are immeasurably valued because God created us. We are inherently valued. Our value is intrinsically woven into our very being by our creator God. Our worth, our worthiness comes from God and not from anything external, not our looks, not our job titles, not the size of our house or our bank account, not how many friends we have or don't have, not our marital status, nor the size or health of our family situation, or even anyone else's opinion of us. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life or how low you may have sunk in your life. The only thing that determines our value, which is so infinite it cannot be added to, and so predetermined, that it cannot be subtracted from is God, is God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And wouldn't it really change the world if every single one of us lived like we believed that to the very core of our being each and every day, if we woke up in the morning and said to ourselves, I am made in the beautiful image of God. It would have huge ramifications on how we treat ourselves, how we talk about ourselves, what we think about ourselves. Being made in the image of God also shows us 
that God intends for us to live in communion with him, in fellowship with him, in relationship with him. God created lots of different creatures to fill this earth prior to his creating men and women from the dust of the ground and breathing into us the breath of life and placing within us the divine spark. Human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are created to have a special relationship with God. And God has created us with many qualities that make that possible. Rational thought, the ability to think beyond ourselves, and moral responsibility, to name just a few. In the beginning, in the garden, God would stroll through in the cool of the evening and fellowship with the man and the woman. And it was truly God's idyllic Eden. Beauty was everywhere in the garden. The Genesis accounts of creation also tell us that being made in the image of God means that human beings are created to represent God on earth. After God created us, he gave us dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. He created us to be co-creators with him, to tend the garden, to till the field, to create and to bring something out of the world which God had made for himself and for us. And so I cannot begin to overstate the importance of understanding that we are made in the image of God because it colors and it shapes everything else we understand about God and our relationship with God. Because we are made in God's image, it affects how we treat other people. God, in his artistry and creativity, has created a wide diversity within the human family. Most obviously, we have been created male and female, but we also come in so many different shapes and sizes. Our skin color is an artist's palette of a variety of tones and hues. Our hair color and eye color add to the rainbow of colors that God uses to paint the richness of the human family. And every single man, woman, boy, and girl is made in the image of God. We've already talked about how being made in God's image affects the way we view ourselves, how we treat ourselves, how we esteem ourselves. But since everyone is made in God's image, since everyone bears the divine breath of God within, this also affects the way we treat other people. We are called to treat other people with dignity. We are called to treat other people with reverence. We are called to treat other people with grace. I want you to take just a moment and turn and look at some of the people who are sitting here worshiping with you today. Go ahead, look around, take a good long look Yeah, you get it. It's okay to smile. You can even wave at someone if you like. Now turn to the person sitting next to you or nearest to you and say to them, you are uniquely made by God. (laughs) 
Now turn to another person sitting on your other side. It could be the same person if there's not many around you. And tell them you are beautifully made in the image of God. Remember what the scriptures say in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every person is unique, but we are all made in the image of God. God is an artist, and every person God makes is a masterpiece. God doesn't make junk. But it hasn't always been believed that way. Way back in the first century, this idea that every person has the image of God was unheard of. In fact, the Roman Empire was a place where Christian values were little known and certainly not honored. Corruption in business was pervasive. Morality was extremely low. And divorce was so common to the point that marriage was little known. Life expectancy was only about half of what it is today. And few parents ever saw all of their children grow and reach adulthood. Epidemics from time to time would sweep through the cities of the empire to the point that up to half the population would die. Famine and civil unrest rocked the empire. The idea that every person had value and that all life was sacred was unknown. Roman law and Roman religion saw nothing morally wrong about abandoning newborns in the garbage dump if they were the wrong sex or if they were sickly or if they had a deformity. Christians would often rescue these babies from the hillsides where trash was thrown, and they would raise them as their own and care for them and nurture them before they died and gave them a decent funeral. When plagues hit the cities, the standard public health approach was to just leave town, anyone that could, leaving behind the elderly, the disabled, or those too poor to leave. Christians, though, would often risk their own lives, losing their lives. They would stay behind and take care of these people. They would feed them and clothe them and love them. And in response, many of these people became Christians, became Christ followers themselves. The Imago Dei is where the idea that all of life is sacred comes from. From the youngest child to the oldest, we all bear the image of God. And that's why since the earliest times Christians have cared for abandoned babies all the way to the elderly who were just left to die, all life is sacred and important. After catastrophes decimated Roman cities when slaves and others were forced to go back and repopulate those cities, it was the Christians who had stayed behind who were there to welcome them, to offer them places to stay and to help them find jobs. Well, the history books teach us that the Roman Empire became Christian in 313 AD when Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity after he had a vision of the cross during a battle at the Bridge of Milan. 
But the truth is that the empire was already Christian. By the year 350, there were 33.9 million Christians in the empire, representing more than half, 56.5% of the population. Constantine already had a Christian majority. He had no other choice politically than to legalize Christianity. It was not that Constantine changed the empire into a Christian nation. Rather, the result came from the way that Christians lived their lives, caring for other people, sharing their faith whenever opportunities arose. They lived their lives in such a way that people saw their good deeds and gave glory to the Father in heaven. The church also helped to change ideas about women and marriage. Back then, marriage was primarily done for economic or political reasons. But Christian husbands and wives were faithful to each other. They tried to avoid divorce. The church taught that marriage isn't just a civic duty or an economic arrangement. Rather, it is a God-directed covenant that reflects the human capacity for self-transcendence and community. That's what makes Christian marriage a spiritual thing. German astronomer Johannes Kepler wrote, God, like a master builder, has laid the foundation of the world according to law and order. God wanted us to recognize those laws by creating us after his image so we could share in his own thoughts. Many years later, nearer our own time, we begin to see this belief reflected in our own Declaration of Independence, where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are still working this out in our country at times, but it started with the church. It started with an understanding that all of us, all people, are made in the image of God. And it was Christian activists who organized the abolitionist movement several hundred years ago. Throughout Europe and the United States, Christians, often Quakers, were found to be at the forefront of the abolitionist movement. The effects of one of the great revivals, called the Second Great Awakening, caused Christians to take this theoretical Christian view that all people are created equal and turn it into a revolution. William Wilberforce was one of those leaders in England. He wrote in his diary when he was 28 years old, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of morals. With other people, Wilberforce worked in Parliament despite determined opposition to finally abolish the British slave trade. Our own Methodist founder, John Wesley, denounced human bondage as the sum of all villainies. This idea that we are all created in the image of God has changed the world. It has influenced art and science, government, education, marriage, and human rights. Now, Christians haven't always gotten everything right by any means, but this idea that the beauty of God is stamped inside each and every one of us has radically changed the world. And God is not finished with this world. 
God wants his beauty to be reflected in us. And he has a plan to restore the full image in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul compares the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. He recalls that the story found in Exodus when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. You remember, his face was shining because he had been in the presence of God. He had seen the glory of God and the glory of God was all over him. And so Moses placed a veil over his face so that no one would see the fading glory of God. Paul takes a little bit of liberty at this point and he says that in the same way there's a veil that covers the minds of unbelievers and makes them hard-hearted toward the things of God. They are unable to comprehend God's glory. And then Paul writes in verses 15 through 18, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, in Christ, the veil of our spiritual blindness is taken away, and we see God as the living personal presence that he is, and there is nothing that can stand between us now with God. Another translation reads verse 18 this way, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Our lives are gradually being transformed more and more into the image of God. And that's God's goal for you, is that you take on the character of Christ. In the church, we call that discipleship, don't we? It's the process of becoming more and more like Christ in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our lifestyle. So discipleship isn't just about filling us up with lots of information. Rather, it's about the process of transformation, of changing us from the inside out. We don't want to be filled up just with facts about the Bible. It's not cognitive development we're after, but character development. I mean, if you know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but you don't ever put any of it into practice in your life, then you're not maturing in your faith. And that's God's will for all of us, spiritual maturity. God is totally committed to that happening. Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. God's plan for you is to grow in Christ-likeness. And while it is God who is doing this, it also requires some intentionality, doesn't it? It requires some commitment from us. It requires some work and some effort and some time. Yes, it is God's grace that accomplishes it in you. And God is committed to it happening, but it requires some cooperation from you. You need to have a plan to make it happen. And then you need to follow through on that plan. It's a lot like physical exercise, isn't it? If we want to get in shape, you have to make a commitment to it first and foremost. And then you have to make a plan you might even need a trainer or someone who's experienced to come alongside you to help you develop a plan and then encourage you to follow through day after day after day. 
I mean, getting in good physical shape is not automatic, is it? In fact, it's just the opposite. Well, it's the exact same with our spiritual fitness program. Look again at verse 15. Here it says, the veil is removed while Moses is being read. In Jewish tradition, that's the Torah, God's law, God's word, the first five books of our Bible, the books of Moses. So the best thing that you can do to grow in the likeness of Christ is to read the Bible every day. If we want to grow in our spiritual life, we need to find time each and every day to be in God's word, to let God speak to us through it. And a good place to start is with our Bible reading plan or any number of online studies that you might take that might take you through the Bible in one year. I remember the first time the Bible really began to transform me was way back when I took Disciple Bible Study. I think it was back in 1995. And every year that I've taken or taught disciples since then, it has been transformative for me yet again. And as we do every year, we will be offering Disciple Bible Study here at Anderson Hills beginning this fall. I would imagine in the next week or two, you'll be seeing opportunities to sign up for one of those opportunities. Please, if you've never done it before, take advantage, get into God's Word. I mean, the Bible is so important because Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Let God's word abide in you because it has the power to transform you. My friends, God is an artist and he is still at work finishing his masterpiece in each and every one of us. Look to God to find your worth, your identity, your beauty. Beauty is important to God because God is beautiful. Remember, David said, I want nothing more than to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord every day in the temple. Allow God to change you from glory into glory, into the beautiful image of Christ, so that you can reflect that beauty like the beautiful masterpiece of art that you are to the whole world. Will you pray with me? Creator and creating God, we give you thanks that you created us in your image. You formed us from the dust and you breathed into us the breath of life. Your very image stamped on the core of our souls. Oh God, help us to understand in a new way or maybe a way that we've never understood before how deeply meaningful that is that we are made in your image and you don't make junk, that we are a masterpiece and that you intend us to grow from glory into glory into the masterful, beautiful piece of art that reflects the perfect nature of Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us to be your image for the world, a pure reflection of your beauty to the world, to the end that the whole creation is transformed into your kingdom, the kingdom of our soon and coming Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen.